Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining us, and welcome to the Product in LA podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Cole, and this is an opportunity to shine the spotlight on some of the exceptional product leaders we have as part of the LA product community. Very excited for today's show. Eric Lodge is here to speak with us. Hey, Ethan, it's great to be here. I'm excited to spend some time together. Me too, Eric. Really excited for this one. This will be a, It's going to be a special show. Loving it. Um, as always, Product in LA is brought to us by Uruit. That's U-R-U-I-T.com. They're a team of strategists, product managers, designers, and developers that build digital solutions that wow customers and stakeholders alike. Formed in 2007, they are now a team of over 100 product enthusiasts. They've delivered more than 150 products. And if you're interested in augmenting your team or if you need to innovate and focus on your core business, uh, please visit uruit.com. That's U-R-U-I-T.com. We're also brought to you by the Product Managers Association Los Angeles. PMALA was founded in 2012 and has over 2,500 product man uh, manager members, uh, of which Eric is one of them. Uh, they put on several events a year, uh, generally monthly events around town. So check them out. It's PMA.LA. They also have a mentorship program where they connect working product managers with students from underrepresented groups to help make a more diverse and better next generation of product people. That's PMA.LA slash mentorship for more information. Our guest today is Eric Lodge. He's the founder of Bloom Collective. Excited to learn more about that. And in his previous roles, Eric has been the VP of Product and Design at Omaze, uh, VP of Business Development and Product at Influx AI. And he's held product roles at Scopely and Electronic Arts. And one interesting fact you may find from his LinkedIn page, dig you know, deep in there, is uh, he's actually an accomplished top 40 Billboard musician Eric, we, we have to learn more about this. Uh, please tell us the story. Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, my first life, my first adult life was as a professional musician. That's amazing. And um, it is something that is, I bet, quite atypical as a route into product management. Uh, <laughs> But it was, a, it was a wonderful experience for about five years where I ended up touring North America, Europe, uh, Japan, uh, put out a number of different rock albums. And the band is called Dance Gavin Dance, it's still touring today. Uh, and it's uh, a cherished part of my background that made me who I am today. Wow. So it wasn't like a, a college band that you just kind of played a couple parties nearby. This, you, you spent five years on tour going international. Yeah, that's right. So it'd be nine months out of the year touring New City every single night. Um, we'd write albums and put those out to the world probably every 18 months or so. Uh, it, it actually, fair enough, teaches you a fair amount about leadership and um, you know building a community and also building a business, which, which is you know kind of a unique background and tale into how I got into product management in the first place. Well, let, let's jump right in. So this was this has occurred after college. Was this your first, you know, quote unquote job? Right. Uh, so this was, you know, actually we were, we were doing this in high school and I was signed to a record label when I was 17. Oh my God. And had kind of that, 
crisis, existential crisis of do I pursue music or do I go to college as one would. Um, I decided to pursue music. Uh, my parents were not so supportive. I was kind of <laughs> kicked off on my own. Um, my dad had made the same decision, at least in his youth also, and it didn't work out so well. So he was kind of trying to protect me from that. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's kind of what I did from being 17 years old until 23 or so. Um, and this was around the era of MySpace and Napster and a lot of digital music being pirated. So while we were a top 40 band from a monetization perspective and a business perspective, it wasn't actually quite that fruitful. Um, and so between that and just, you know, touring 9, 10, 11 months out of the year, I, I decided to kind of start something new and actually went, ended up going to school for economics, studying renewable energies and resource economics, which is kind of how I ended up having somewhat of the right prerequisites to get into product management. Oh, tell me more about this bridge. So there's a bridge. So there's, you go from musician, then you go back to school after being a musician focusing on business and renewables, where did that take you next? Right. And so uh, my first gig was at this place called a renewable energy testing center. Um, and basically what we would do is it was, we'd work with people building cool technologies around uh, wind or solar or anaerobic digestion, things like that, and help them get business grants and think about their business model and basically scale it to be fit to, serve a citywide scale. Um, in doing that work, I found it actually quite bureaucratic. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I was young, I was kind of in a, in a corner just writing grants and, and it just didn't really feel like I was actually kind of had my hands dirty. Um, and I ended up kind of looking around and, and had seen this opportunity on Craigslist to actually work at a gaming startup. Um, and this gaming startup only had about 30 or 40 people. I got hired doing QA and content and just kind of data analysis, basically any kind of hat that was needed. Right. Um, and in doing that, I, I, I actually ended up practicing a lot of the product management skills without knowing that they were product management skills related to live operations and kind of growth hacking the product. And that product that I ended up working on um, was part of a major acquisition and our studio was part of a major acquisition where we were bought by electronic arts at the end of 2011. Wow. Yeah. So with, with that, um, you know, I hadn't formally been a product manager. My title was monetization manager, um, whatever that may mean right. uh, in, the, in the gaming world. And yeah, I had, a wonderful mentor who was part of EA who had asked me if I wanted to be a product manager. And I turned to him and I recall saying, I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> he's like, well, I think you'd be good at it. Take this test. And so I took this test and it had, you know, things about my analytical skill sets, my level of influence, um, my communication skills, my design skills, things like that. Um, sure enough, I did well enough to be the first product manager of that studio. And, um, you know, I, I kind of was self-taught for maybe eight to 10 years in product management through gaming um, on a number of different products where I kind of rose the ranks and started as a 
you know, associate level product manager and, and became senior director and VP level after 10 years from there. And a lot of that was the gaming world. That's great. There, I, I, I was going to say, I was gonna, go ahead, go ahead. I was, yeah. So from there, I, you know, I, I spent about 10 years in the gaming world and moved off from the gaming world in 2019 and worked in some computer vision and likewise charitable fundraising. So there's kind of this through line in my background and my approach to my work where um, I like to try something new and novel and different periodically, whether it be doing music for a while and then doing gaming for a while and then doing computer vision for a while and then doing what I'm doing with uh, Bloom Collective now. And so it's kind of been this skill set I've developed and confidence I've developed where, you know, I try something and, and, and try to master it for a bit, but then I get a little bit bored and want to move on to kind of what's <laughs> next and into a new world. And that's, that's kind of been the cycle for me. Yeah. And that's, that's common through a lot of product managers that I found and, you know, enjoying the challenge. And, and if it becomes not as much of a challenge, uh, finding a new challenge, I'd, I'd like to go back quickly to the, to the test was this a test that was say at the end, like a, like a cosmopolitan magazine, like it tells you the end, uh, you know, you're a product manager or was it just kind of more of like a general personality test and, and your mentor was then determining the, the productness of, of that personality? Uh, I mean, so I would say it's, it was a, a standardized test. Um, this mentor is someone who came from a series of companies that, that are in Northern Europe um, that eventually became Supercell, which is one of the dominant gaming companies. Oh, nice. um, and so this was like their standardized evaluation amongst six different areas Okay. where um, it was believed if you could be perform pretty well in those areas, you'd be a good product manager. And I recall performing well in five out of six of them. And then the sixth was my, my kind of data analysis and analytical skill set. Uh, which made sense because at that startup we were at, we didn't really have data analysis because we were so early. Yeah, uh, we had very, like, very limited compared to you know what was considered standard in the world there today. And I took that upon myself as you know big focal area for for the years to come. That's awesome. So then you had the one deficit, and you you worked to to remove that. Right. Yeah. I work to understand the skills needed for that, the tools used to be a solid analytical thinker and using that in product management and product leadership, um, which I'm quite proud of. I think I really rounded out over the years, especially with my time at, at Scopely as well. Yeah. It's kind of funny to, to hear this common thread and through a, a lot of product managers where at least with our generation, you identify that, you know, you're good at something and then, Later on, someone tells you, oh, you know, that's actually product management. So I love, I love hearing stories like that. Um, I'd love to hear more about how, you know, all of these experiences have shaped what you're doing today. So the musicians, mm -hmm. the, the video gaming, the, you know, finding product management, you know, how, do, how does that mm -hmm. shape what you do today? Yeah, I, I certainly look at product management and my approach quite differently um and i would say back to that point around strengthening my analytical skills uh i got quite good at that and really leaned into that as a leader 
And what I would say most recently, um, is there's a bit more balance between intuition and the analytical mind. Hmm. Um, and the, what I enjoy about how I harness my craft. And specifically what I would say is I've learned over the years, I really enjoy um, kind of working in the realms of product management where you may lack data or you may lack signal. Um, hmm. Specifically, this may be when a product is in a concept phase or you're going from zero to one or one to 10, as opposed to you know the 10 to hundred plus. Right. And I found that sometimes groundbreaking products require suspending the analytical mind and to be kind of harnessing the intuitive side. So lately, you know, over the last couple of years, it's been a balance of the heart and the mind or the intuitive and the analytical. And I, I believe personally that it takes a lot of courage in the field of product management and leadership to lean into the intuitive side and that, that being more intuitive means being courageous. And so that's been a notable point in how I have evolved my craft in the last couple of years. Oh, that's great. I love how you describe it as the heart and mind. You know, I've, I've described it in, in my own conversations as, you know, it's more art than science, especially the analytics in a pre-launch company. You, you don't really know what you don't know yet. You know, you're still, you're still very much, um, in internal phases there, customers haven't had their say yet. Um, but I call it art and science, but I, I love this idea of heart and mind, um, mm. where you kind of, you're saying you're trusting the intuition part, um, the heart and then the mind is the one that has to kind of like have some patience until there's, there's some actual something to act upon. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah, it lands well with me. And, and, and to be honest, what I've learned over the years is I, I really enjoy that kind of early concept phase absent of clear validation. You know, as a product manager, I believe it's skill set than what's required mm. in optimizing a live product, right? Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love setting up a strong kind of growth hacking, split testing engine on a product and getting <laughs> wins where areas you did not expect to get wins. Yeah. Uh, but it's just when you're, building something new and novel, especially something that maybe doesn't have clear competitors. How do you show up as a product manager? Um, and how do you lead the team, you know, to still be logical and strategic and have a great outcome? Um, it, it's kind of the question that I've been curious about over the years. And it's the area I feel I most thrive and get energized. Is that part of what led you to found the, the Bloom Collective? Uh, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, so Bloom Collective uh, is a consulting and coaching firm that really is focused on early stage projects that are also in that anywhere from the early concept phase to, you know, going to market. Um, so really trying to find product market fit think outside the box, ask those maybe more intuitive or novel questions and, and kind of operate as a product leader um, in a space where you lack kind of insights and data and direction. And I would say that's one big reason why I founded Bloom Collective at the start of this year. 
Um, another reason is, you know, I have spent a, a lot of time focused on product strategy and building novel products and successful products. Um, and I've also spent a lot of time as a, as a leader and as a people manager. What I've been most energized by and what I think, you know, serves kind of my vision the most is to focus on the interpersonal and supporting the individual. Hmm. And so that's been a lot of what Bloom Collective is about too. It's not just a consulting service for, you know, a strong product strategy and product roadmaps and approach there. It's also a coaching service and support system for founders, uh, for executive leaders to help with their mindset, thoughts, and behaviors. Um, and that's been a, a, a big part of it as well. So the, the human element, the, the human growth, um, seems like it is more of this kind of heart and mind that you're trying to foster. Mm. Yeah, I love that, actually. Uh, I appreciate that reflection. I, I would say, you know, over the last five years or so, I've personally had a deep commitment to conscientious leadership and a deep focus on myself and my ability to be present and my belief is in doing that, I am a better leader and the product is better off because of it. And so this comes through in things like yoga and meditation and reading spiritual texts or receiving coaching or doing breath work. Um, and to be honest with you, Ethan, it has impacted my career in, in ways very profoundly um, and it impacts it on a daily basis. And so what I'm trying to do with Bloom Collective is to channel that both through my consulting and coaching um, to both founders and executives that are in this challenging phase where they're trying to find product market fit. And, you know, that requires a great product strategy, but also requires an exceptional mindset to be able to navigate that. Uh, I, I love that. And, and kind of looking forward to the future, how do you see the the relationship between this kind of uh, mind and body mindfulness and product market fit. Do you, do you see this as a, a trend? It, it sounds like this is something you've, you know, really something that you've grown with and you're looking for opportunities to help scale it. Is this something that you see, you know, scaling even further? Is this kind of a, a greater trend or is this something that's kind of more of a, you know, the, the boutique uh, variety? Yeah. Mm. Uh... You know, I'm not sure yet. And that's kind of part of the surrendering, surrendering of the analytical mind to mm. not have to have the answer of what this may look like in the future. I, I will say in my experience in coaching, you know, these, these exceptional, really talented people that when there is this mindset shift of shifting from the unreasonable or like not being possible to actually making that a possibility that they're squarely focused on and then achieving results against it. Yeah. That impacts that product and that company in such profound ways that I, I find it hard to think that without that, a product can be as successful as it may need to be or could be, you know? Mm. Um, and when you really think about 
bringing that vision into the world, I, I do think it's a, a critical component that I would, I would love to see scaled, you know, um, authentically and rapidly across every individual who'd like it. Um, how, how Bloom Collective fits into that is still, you know, personally unknown to me, and that's a little bit on purpose yeah. to sit with the um, kind of present moment and to sit with the heart and not have to anal- analytically figure that all out. Yeah, and kind of taking a look at the, the larger, you know, PM trends as analytics becomes even more and more critical to the day-to-day, um, it's, it is interesting to think about how these wider visions may be narrowed if we're not paying attention to it. If, you, if you're keeping your eye too much on the dashboard and trying to, to get these incremental wins, um, if we don't foster these larger you know, visions of, hey, what, what could it potentially be in the impossible world and then try to break down the impossible world into mm. possible tasks – uh, we may find ourselves just in these small little boxes that because we're paying too close attention to uh, the day-to-day issues and, and missing the the larger um, potentials that uh, could be obscured by the current the current numbers. I mean, I've Ethan, it's like you're, you're speaking to my past. I've been there. <laughs> uh, I've been so in the weeds that the kind of possibility space seems constrained to a couple of doors whereas the possibility space is you know probably thousands of doors i just i'm not aware of them yeah and so that ability or superpower to zoom out and then think unreasonably or get out of the weeds um and really what that entails is kind of looking at your belief system and looking at what you think are constraints and then challenging them um and sometimes that's that's hard to do on your own when you're when you're deep in it. And I've been there before. And so I think that just really reaffirms how building that skill set and that muscle can make you a really exceptional product leader. Yeah, and I think an important thing to key on is the the building it and that um it doesn't necessarily come naturally, even to the folks that you see there, the leaders that you watch, you know, the, you know, the Marty Kagans, the Lenny's, you know, everyone came from somewhere. Right. And so to, to look at these folks and, and to just assume that, wow, they've always been this good, um, I think is, is a trap that people fall into if they're thinking too narrowly. Uh, these folks who have these big visions, they work hard at it sometimes to do it. And I think, uh, a fun sports thing. And I don't know if this will hit with everyone, but uh, Roger Federer, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, uh, known for being cool, calm, collective early in his career, he was temperamental and throwing rackets and he took years to, to focus his energies, to, to calm it down and be the person, become the person he is today. Um, and so when we talk about these, these um, people who are, can take the vision, you know, they, they don't get caught up in the day to day. Um, that's true. That happens, but there's, there's work and it's exercising muscles and exercising discipline to help those folks get there. So Eric, that's, that's, it's, it's fun to, to have this conversation with you because it sounds like you do, you really do help exercise those muscles. You found it and, and now you're, you're, uh, you're sharing it and spreading it to, to others. I love it. 
Thanks, Ethan. And I, and I, uh, I love that Federer story. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a great reminder for myself and I think for your listeners um, just on how malleable we are and, and, you know, also, you know, how, how impactful and supportive you can be to others because mm. no matter where you are, I'm sure like everyone listening wants to be somewhere else or somewhere greater but they have knowledge and skill sets and expertise that I'm sure could translate to someone else who is somewhere else in their path, maybe a little bit younger or not as experienced. So um, I just, I love that. And I uh, <laughs> um, really appreciate you sharing that one. Yeah, no, thank you, Eric. Um, we're about at time here, starting to wrap up. Uh, love to ask the, the final question. Um, you know, we are product in LA, um, focused primarily in Los Angeles and uh, with LA people. Love to hear from you, uh, Eric. You know, what's the most LA thing that uh, has happened uh, to you, you know, professionally or personally? Uh, well, there's a lot of LA things that have happened to me. <laughs> that yeah, come right. Up. Yeah. Uh, Five year I rock guess, star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the one that comes up is um, I'm a huge basketball fan, huge NBA fan. Right. Uh, and I learned after joining Scopely that Kobe, Kobe Bryant was, um, you know, one of the investors in Scopely. And that was already cool. But then, you know, a handful of times he ended up coming by the office. Oh, that's cool. And you see him across, you know, this huge um, open space kind of warehouse, you know, tech setup. And you see Kobe at the front talking to our founders. And, and that was pretty neat um, on multiple dimensions, both as a basketball fan, but also just, you know, the kind of the parallel of, you know, why is there this like, generational talent here uh, <laughs> while I'm build building video games. It's pretty cool. That's pretty fun. And for Kobe, you know, he was very recognizable. So sometimes there are some celebrities out and you won't really know. You'll do double takes. Uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, I, I was actually uh, went to high school with Kobe. He was a senior when I was a freshman. And just even then, just walking through the halls, he just had a presence. You just you knew Kobe as soon as you saw him, as he just walked through the door, uh, you knew he was around. So that's terrific to just kind of be doing your day to day as a, you know, a, a PM working on, on games and Kobe Bryant walks through the door in front of you. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> that's awesome. Well, well, thank you so much, Eric, for joining us. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. Um, it was a absolute delight. Thanks, man. Yeah, I want to thank you all for listening and to thank our sponsors again. That's PMALA. That's PMA.LA, the Product Manager Association of Los Angeles. And Uruit, U-R-U-I-T.com. They help you know innov companies innovate and augment their teams. U-R-U-I-T.com. Um, I want to thank you all one more time for, for staying with us. And uh, we'll see you next time on Product in L.A.